So today we're going to be looking at John chapter 15, verses 1 through 17, which you might know as the I'm the true vine statement from Jesus. Uh, And last week we heard Pastor Ryan go over chapter 14, and we heard these words spoken by Jesus in chapter 14, verse 19. He said, yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live, you also will live. And as we read through our passages today, I just want you to keep those words in your mind. Because I live, you also will live. So if you turn with me or look up on the screen, I will read through John chapter 15, verses 1 through 17, and you can follow along. Jesus said, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the words that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as a branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment. That you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends for all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. So whatever you ask in my Father in my name, he may give to you. These things I command you, so that you would love one another. The grass withers, the flowers fade. If you only had a couple hours left with the people that you're closest to, what would you be sure to tell them? At this point in the story, Jesus is just hours away from being handed over to the Romans, arrested, and crucified. He doesn't have much time left with his disciples, and he's in a unique position where he knows this. So what does he do? He gives us an amazing statement on who he is, who the disciples are, and how their relationship is to work. Look at verse 5. Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And I really want to dive into this verse especially to see how it really gives us a solid understanding of what Jesus is trying to say. So we'll start with the first part, which is Jesus telling us, I am the vine. And more specifically, I want to take a look at how Jesus uses this in the first verse, in verse 1, by saying not only I am the vine, but I am the true vine. Because with this statement, Jesus is emphasizing his authenticity. He's putting forth the idea that there are false vines. And he's setting apart for his disciples and for us a picture that no matter how real the other vines might look, there is only one true vine, and it is Jesus. 
So I want you to think about it like this. Have you ever seen a counterfeit bill? Um, what does a counterfeit $100 bill look like? It looks like the real thing, right? It looks like a $100 bill. Um, and of course, it's going to look as close to the real thing as possible because no one's going to go into a gas station with a Monopoly dollar and try to buy something. Um, but they're going to use whatever resembles the real thing most. Um, but if you think about it, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter how real it looks, how much is a counterfeit bill worth? It's worth absolutely nothing. So it's, it doesn't matter how close you come to the real thing. If it's not the real thing, if it's not a true $100 bill, it's worthless. And so for the same reason as a cashier would check a high-value dollar to make sure it fulfills the worth that it claims on its surface, we need to be careful of the false finds of any counterfeit Jesus or any of these things that are trying to offer us salvation without the Savior. Because the world continues to offer up vines um, that promise us life and security and intimacy or satisfaction, uh, but they come up empty because they're not the real thing. Jesus is telling his disciples that he knows there are other vines in their life that they're trying to draw them away, that they're trying to abide in, and he's giving them a warning that if they're abiding in these false vines more than they're abiding in him, that they will come up empty, and that these outcomes will be disappointing, and that their lives will become fruitless. So you might be thinking, what are the false vines? And simply put, a false vine is anything that feels good, and it looks right, but it isn't Jesus. I think a good example of this would be what I call nature worship, which isn't new, but it's growing yet again in popularity as people are turning towards crystals and rocks and astrology and the planets or even the energies of the earth that are said to form our chakras that we can supposedly align or to shape and come more in tune with the earth or to have better luck or to be more at peace. Um, and I hate to be the one to have to tell you this, but these are false vines. These are acts of worship towards the creation, but not the creator. And that's exactly where the problem is. Because you see, it's been a temptation for as long as humans have been around to abide and to worship things besides God. This is one of the effects of our alienation from him. We don't worship him. We worship the things that he's made and the things that he's given us. And even now, every day, we attach ourselves to these false vines, unknowingly putting things before Christ. Because hearing all this, I know some of you might be thinking, yeah, those rock worshipers. But we need to realize that we're all rock worshipers. Because all of us are so attached to our phones or to our camping trips or to our coffee or to the hikes that we have planned. We're so attached to these things that we begin to see them as our vine. We begin to abide in them so much. Um, and I'll tell you, I'm, I'm guilty of this too. And I want you to know that these things by themselves aren't bad things. But when they start to shape our lives in a way, they start to draw our attention away from Jesus in such a way that we feel that we can't live without them, then man, do we have some reevaluating to do. And I know you might be thinking, Eli, you don't get it. If I didn't have my phone, I wouldn't be able to go through my day how I need to. I wouldn't be able to look at my emails. I wouldn't be able to text my kids or check my calendar. I'd miss meetings and lunches. So my phone isn't an idol. It's a necessity. And uh, I agree with you. Uh, and I want you to hear this. I'm not telling you to go and throw your phone away because that's not going to fix the problem. Because uh, I can relate to that. And I, I would agree it's a, such a blessing the way that we're connected through technology. But what I'm saying is that if I can go a day without spending time with Jesus, 
and without praying or without reading my Bible or without serving others, but I can't go a day without my phone, that usually is a good indicator that I need to take a step back. Because the reality is that we can live without these things, but we can't live without Christ. And Jesus is clearly stating that since he is the true vine, if we aren't abiding in him, we will wither, and so will our false vines. So I want to look at the second part of this verse, which is Jesus telling the disciples, you are the branches. And the first thing I want to point out is that Jesus doesn't necessarily give significance to the branches. He doesn't say, you are the best branches, or you are my favorite branches, or uh, anything like that. He simply says, you are the branches. Because if you think about it, a branch is only as notable as the vine it's attached to. The relationship of the vine is what matters. So what is the relationship of a branch to the vine? It's not a trick question. Uh, the branch is the part that produces fruit, right? Uh, but again, they don't grow on their own. They aren't self-sustained. Uh, they have to be connected to the vine to stay alive and to produce fruit. So if you think about a grapevine, it's the fruit that grows out of the branches and clusters, not just the trunk or, you know, the main body, but it's the main body that the branches are connected to. And it's the same for any other plant that produces fruit as well. The fruit grows on the branches and the branches stem from the vine. So here we have Jesus telling the disciples that he is the center and they stem from him just as branches would stem from a vine. So if the disciples are the branches and if we are the branches, we need to take a look at the two scenarios that Jesus offers up in this analogy for the branches. If you look back at verse two, he says, all branches that do not produce fruit will be taken away. All branches that do produce fruit will be pruned. It's not only Jesus telling his disciples that they are the branches, he's telling them their purpose, which is to produce fruit. Just as a branch would produce fruit on a vine. And he's also telling them that if they don't fulfill this purpose, they will be taken away. But if they do, they'll be pruned so that they can produce more. And the difference between these two outcomes is simply which is connected. Because if they're cut off from their source, their fruitfulness stops there. Now, has anyone seen the cinematic masterpiece that is Disney's Tangled? Uh, or maybe some of you have listened to it about a million times in the background as your kids are, are listening to it and you're trying to clean. Um, and I want to I wanna make clear the reason I bring this up with a, a quick plot summary. Basically, the main character, Rapunzel, has magic hair. Uh, I know, magic hair. And this magic hair has powers of eternal youth. And the, the movie goes that the antagonist is basically trying to take Rapunzel's hair and use it for her own gain so that she can be young eternally. Uh, and at the beginning of the movie, she tries to do this by cutting some of Rapunzel's hair off to keep for herself. Um, but if you've seen the movie, as soon as she cuts it off, what was once this long, beautiful, glowing, blonde magic hair becomes brown and it loses its power. And so all of a sudden... There's this magical hair that would rejuvenate and heal those who touch it, but when it's not connected to its source, it loses its vitality and it loses its power. So you can see why I bring this up. Uh, it's the same for us. If we do not stay connected to our source of life, thus do not produce fruit, we will be taken away. And so I can imagine some of you are thinking, oh man, am I producing fruit? Uh, or am I producing enough fruit? Uh, but I want you to realize something. The fruit being produced by the branches is not what Jesus is focusing on in these verses. Because what he's saying is that the branches will produce fruit. It's not a question of if they will, it's a statement that they will. But you must abide in him, and he must abide in you in order for that fruit to grow. So what is the fruit? 
What is the fruit that, as the branches, we should be producing for Christ? Well, I want you to know that not all the situations that we will produce fruit in will be the same. And I want you to know that, as the branches, we each have unique and special gifts that we can produce fruit with. But, at the end of the day, the fruit is this. Our goal as the branches is this. It's to allow Jesus to produce the gospel through us and to lead others to Christ so that he can do the same through them. Because you know we're not the ones saving people, but we are the ones that are sharing the news about the one who does save people. So that's our fruit, because that's what the gospel is all about. It's about a bunch of withering branches that are disconnected from their source in our pursuit of life elsewhere, but it's also about the true source of life, the true vine that is calling these branches back to him because he knows that he is the only way and he loves them so much that he would carry their brokenness so that they could be connected to him again. So let's take a look at the last main point at the end of verse five, which is apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing. Let's start there. What does nothing mean? Because here it obviously doesn't mean we can't do anything. I mean, of course we can make decisions. We can do what we want. We have control over actions and consequences will stem from them. But what Jesus is saying is, apart from him, what stems from our actions? It's not going to be fruitful and it's certainly not going to last. Because in reality, the things that matter most, we can't accomplish on our own. The real obstacles in our way as humans are the ones that are impossible for us to overcome without Christ because he is the only one that can overcome them. You see, Christ has overcome the world so that we can also, but only through him. Christ conquered death and Christ defeated sin, our sin, because there's no way that we can do that for ourselves. But when we don't abide in Christ, we're taking these obstacles and we're putting them back in front of ourselves and we're trying to conquer them alone. And when facing these obstacles of sin and death and evil, how well will we do on our own? We're not going to do very well at all, are we? When, when facing all of these, in order to fight the good fight, in this sense, there's nothing we can do apart from Christ. And fair warning, this nothing will get to us. This effort to defeat the challenges that only Christ can defeat will take its toll. It will slowly and surely eat away so that our purpose becomes obscure and so that we become stuck because a branch without its life source is a branch without its purpose. So what happens then? Well, I'll give you one more story, and it's something that I heard from Pastor Ryan because I haven't been here this long, but he was telling me that a couple years ago, Bozeman had a really bad freeze. And so I looked into it and I saw in an article that about 900 trees had died. Uh, and that once people had realized this, the city had to go around and remove them all. And uh, of course they removed them all, you know, uh, because having killed by the cold weather, these trees were no longer going to grow. They're no longer going to bud. And uh, of course, no one plants a tree in their yard for the purpose of it dying and just sitting there. So they removed it. And just as the city went around and removed the trees and planted new ones, so will God remove the fruitless branches from his vine. And to those who do produce fruit, he will prune and he will cleanse so that whatever may be holding us back from producing more fruit will be removed and it will continue to grow. And so by the fruit of our branches, he is glorified. And as the branches, the fruit that we produce will prove that we are his disciples. 
So the word I want to end on here is abide. Because in verse 5, it isn't just talking about abiding in Christ. It's talking about Christ abiding in us. And so the question really does come down to how do we abide in Christ? And also, how does Christ abide in us? Well, Jesus gives quite the simple answer in these verses because he wants us to abide in his love, as in verse 9. And he tells us in order to do this, we must keep his commandments, which is verse 10. And he finally says in verse 12 and 17 that his commandment is to love. So in the end, what he's saying is the goal of all of this is to love. And specifically to love each other as he has loved us. And so when we love, it all comes together. And I'll tell you why. Because John, the author of our gospel we're in, brings us full circle later in the New Testament. Because not only were these words that Christ had said, but these were words that the disciples had lived. So look at this. In, in 1 John 4.16, John says, So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. It's a relationship. Us abiding in Christ, Christ abiding in us, and it's all done by abiding in love. So the stress in the end isn't on the relationship between the branches and their fruit, but it's between the branches and the vine. So we abide. We abide in Christ, which means to abide in love, which means we're not only focusing on ourselves, but we're focusing on others because that's the kind of love that Christ has shown. And we shouldn't be surprised when we pray for fruitfulness that we find ourselves in situations we might not have expected or prefer. We shouldn't be surprised if abiding in Christ leads us to abiding in serving, abiding in new relationships or conversations, or abiding in places that we don't necessarily want to go. Because Christ calls us to produce fruit to all nations and to all people, not just the ones we want or the ones we're comfortable with. So just know if you're going to commit to a life that bears fruit, you're going to commit to a life of abiding. So let me ask you this. Do you want to produce fruit? If your answer is no, well, you should. And on the flip side, if you do want to produce fruit, you need to abide in Christ. That's the only way that you'll do it. So what are you abiding in? What is your vine? What is the door that you still might have your foot in that is keeping you from abiding in Christ? That's fully keeping you from fully surrendering and from fully experiencing the life-giving power and love that he has waiting for you. Because you shouldn't take these words and images of branches and bare branches and fire and death as just a warning, but as an invitation to life. This, this is a gift, and it's one that Jesus alone can offer. And I assure you, it's one worth taking. So abide in the true vine, because apart from him, I think you get the picture by now. Let me pray for us. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this gift of grace and of love that we don't deserve, but you offer it anyways. Thank you that while we were still sinners, you sent your son to die for us so that we no longer have to walk in our old patterns that lead to death, but we now have a new life full of love and of hope and of joy, overflowing joy. I just ask as we leave today, we would not let these words fall short that you spoke to your disciples and that you're speaking to us now. Bless us with your spirit. 
Help us, God, because we need it. Help us trust that the plan that you have for us is far better than any that we have for ourselves. And that even when things get hard, we have a God who cares and a God who doesn't let our pain go to waste. Allow us to continue to use whatever present realities are causing us to suffer and to use it to grow closer to you. To lay ourselves down at your feet and just say, Abba, Father, I am here and I need you. I cannot do this alone, and I don't want to do this on my own. I want to abide in you, and I want you to abide in me, and I want more of this life that you're offering, and I want to help others receive it also. So we thank you, God, for everything, and we lift you up. And all God's people said. Thank you guys so much, and God bless.